Scotland podcast. I'm Henry Hepburn. I'm Emma Seath. And we both work for TS Scotland, clearly, and we are, um, what we're going to be looking to do over the coming months is look back at some of the stories we've covered, some of the issues we've looked at, and also look ahead to what's coming up. And hopefully at some point soon we'll have some guests joining us. Just today, it's myself and Emma. Um, we are going to have a look back at some things that we've been doing and, and have a bit of a look ahead as well. Now, for those of you who don't know us, we've both been in the job quite a while now, fair to say. Yeah, um, over a decade, just over a decade. I think 13 years for me. I started in 2006 and Emma joined. 2007, I think we're just a year apart. Just a few months later, yeah, wasn't it? Um, so, the, looking back, though, um, we didn't totally come in without, uh, you know, we both had, in different ways, some sort of connection to education. Well, you're Already. not to be mistaken for another Henry Hepburn that yeah. uh, works in Scottish education. Yeah, even though I'm not sure if I'm the, the, the best known Henry Hepburn in Scottish education because my my dad has the same name and uh, is a teacher, a primary school head teacher as was. He supposedly retired, but still seems to be working now. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, um, after I started the job at TS Scotland, he would occasionally get people coming up to him uh, and saying... Oh, that was a great piece you had in, in the magazine last week. And my dad told me this and I said, well, come on now. Um, they didn't really, I mean, what did you say when they said that? Um, and he, he, he was a bit, he said, oh, I was a bit embarrassed. So I just said, oh, thanks very much. And this was really quite offensive to me because I was thinking... I was so thinking, you let them well, think that he'd written it? Yeah, pretty much. And I was thinking, well... Wait a minute, you know, you always tell me you get, you're lucky if you get five minutes for your lunch break. So when do they think you're knocking out 1,500 words of carefully crafted prose? You know, how, how long do they think these things take to do? So, um, so yeah, he's been taking credit for, for, for my journalism for years now, but uh, never mind, I'm used to it by now. Um, and I think when you, before you took the job, what was that story you told me about um, curriculum for excellence? Oh, yeah, I mean, I was working the... Um the Herald newspaper at the time when I got my interview uh, for TES Scotland and helpfully um, I was working under uh, Stephen Naismith who's the social affairs correspondent now at that time the Herald had a society supplement I was the writer for it he was the editor and so we wrote about education health social work charitable sector and so before I was going for my interview he knew I was coming for an interview at TES and he said to me uh do you know what curriculum for excellence is? I was like, no, <laughs> didn't have a clue what curriculum for excellence was. So I spent the time on the train from Glasgow to Edinburgh learning about the four capacities and trying to kind of commit them to memory. And it's probably fair to say that I have been ever since that moment, barring maybe my notice period, I have been writing about curriculum for excellence now for a decade. So, I do you any to the wiser, wiser as to what curriculum for excellence is? Twelve years later, <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't even know if I'd be able to tell you the four capacities, which is terrible, but it's because they're, they're kind of a little bit interchangeable. You know? Yeah, I'm not sure how many people could reel off the four capacities just like that, but uh, we'll maybe put that to the test sometime. Now, I thought it'd be fun to maybe just ask you a question which you've not given too much thought to before, perhaps, but uh, teaching and education is quite, has quite a rich history in terms of portrayals in film, in novels, in 
comics uh, and all media. I just wondered if you could maybe tell us who your favourite fictional teacher is. Well, I, I suppose, yes, it, yeah. Well, the, yeah, the teacher in fiction that I probably spend most of my time, you know, sort of uh, seeing in action these days with having an eight-year-old uh, son is teacher from the Bino, the, the Bashri kids teacher. Teacher who doesn't even have a name. He's <laughs> just teacher. Um, but yeah, quite a jaded individual. Um, you know, he's got this, you know, sort of uh, array of, uh, this is a wide array of different personalities in front of him, different, different you know, additional support needs, you could say, with uh, Plunk and Smoothie and Spotty. But, you know, is maybe not the most effective teacher in the world, but I just think that there's something quite nice in that he's, you know, although he's sort of bad, generally bad at what he does, nobody's going to aspire to be like teacher in the past three kids. But he's, he's, he probably is doing a really good job of bringing on the literacy skills of a lot of boys because I know just how often my son has his head buried in a comic, you know, yeah. so this is definitely like the first, you know, sort of, reading material that he's really engaged with so you know like yeah. teachers may be doing quite a good job even though on the face of it it seems like uh, things are often quite out of control i've not read the Beano for well a good few years now but from memory some of the practices teaching practices might not fit that well with scottish education in 2019 or has things changed <laughs> is it a bit more politically correct now and i'd say it's very much uh, not politically correct and i reckon that's why 80 year old boys like it <laughs> part of its appeal so, yeah, so come on, back to you then, Henry. So, uh... Yeah, well, I'm not sure it was my favourite fictional teacher, but I think it's the one who left the biggest mark. It's the Robin Williams character in Dead Poor Society, John Keaton, who that film came out, I think, in about 1989, and I'm not sure I've ever actually seen it again. But in terms of the films that I've seen in my whole life that have left the biggest mark, I mean, I was just at the optimum age for that film. I was probably a little bit younger than the boys, the, the characters in the film. Uh-huh. And, you know, a little bit shy, a little bit unsure of yourself, as a lot of teenagers are. And then to see this guy, the sort of force of nature come in and, you know, laud things that maybe weren't lauded amongst my peers, you know, reading books and uh, being into poetry, those sort of things, you know, it was just, it had a really explosive effect on me. Looking back now, I'd like to watch it again, actually, because I'm not actually sure he'd be that good a teacher. I mean, he obviously had some good ideas and he had passion, but um, not 100%. This, you know, Would you pass your higher English? <laughs> you pass your higher English, I don't know. Would he, would he get you through all the benchmarks? I'm not 100% sure he would, but uh, uh, he was a great character. Whether he was a great teacher, I'm not so sure. And I thought it'd be good as well to look back. I mean, we've got that wealth of experience now in the job, both of us, over, over a decade for both of us. Um, I thought it'd be great to talk about maybe a favourite story that you've covered over that time. Um, I know that we had a little bit of a, of a chat about this in advance, and I've got quite an old story in mind. You've got something a lot more recent. So what, what was it that sort of came to mind for you? Well, I mean, it's, it's the story that I've just written, which um, or the feature, rather, that I've just written, which I, I sort of find now that having worked with TES for over a decade, 
my brain wipes itself clean <laughs> you know so like I, I write a story and then you know if you ask me about it a week later I am unlikely, <laughs> unlikely to be able to tell you much about it I mean it all comes back you know when you reread it and you remember the detail and things so I think I'm best to stick with the present and this is actually one that hasn't even been published yet because I've only just stopped writing it but it was one I found totally fascinating because definitely after you've been doing something for 10 years you do see the same themes coming up and we'll always try and keep it fresh and I think that we do a really good job of that but but it's 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 not necessarily all that often that you you really sort of see something in an entirely new and different light. something you've just never written about before even so 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 what was it then what was so I mean it was basically it was just basically about this um drawing this line between animal cruelty and human violence and just you know sort of looking Looking basically at childhood cruelty against animals and whether or not that necessarily has such a kind of direct relationship as we maybe think that it, maybe come become used to thinking that it does with kids later on going on to commit, you know. Pretty heinous crimes. Well, it's a know. staple in Hollywood films, isn't it? That uh, you know you'd sort of look into the past of some, you know, horrible. Uh, criminal and they'd have been, you know, sociopaths from the age of four pulling wings off flies and that sort of thing. But I think what was really interesting about your story is that that's totally the wrong way of looking at it sometimes, that there's, you yeah. know, actually it's a, showing you something else entirely. Yeah, totally. I mean, so it was a um, it was a professor of applied developmental, developmental psychology, Joe Williams from University of Edinburgh, who um, she's she's quoted, I would say, probably the, the most in the future. And she's really saying that we often, she feels that we too often jump to this conclusion that if a child has been cruel to an animal, that it means that this, you know, that it's a warning sign that they're going to go on and, you know, sort of, you know, become some sort of, you know, serial killer or, you know, sort of really be this, you know, sort of fairly reprehensible, you know, kind of adult. But that that's, that's not not that's not necessarily the case and obvious and, and most of the time that won't be the case actually um and the you know there can be all kinds of reasons why it is that children do these things in young children it can just be because they're curious and they are exploring the world around them and they don't realize that they're going to come they don't realize they're going to cause harm so it's it's through ignorance and then in adolescence it's not necessarily something that's you know sort of you know a badness within the child that leads to it can be peer pressure and those kinds of things at least and her argument is basically that we need to sort of try and get rid of that stigma that surrounds it so that well for one thing you can reduce you know sort of harm to animals and then also you know sort of educate children about how to handle them so what are the implications for schools and teachers then of all that well i guess it's to try and get it's this push to try and get rid of you know sort of it's a kind of a bit of a silent area the 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 theory is is that people are quite reluctant to report incidents of um you know animal cruelty and childhood you know amongst you know amongst children um just for fear of having them branded as being the next mm. sort of john venables or you know whoever you know whoever mm. you would want to kind of whichever name you want to sort of pluck out of mm. you know the yeah, air. because some of these people in yeah. some of these cases have been you know at some point in life have been involved in animal cruelty uh-huh, you know? absolutely well, absolutely um and, and so just to kind of try and make people you know sort of a little bit more comfortable 
coming forward with cases so that it can actually just be addressed at this you know sort of much earlier stage and that they can and that children can be taught you know sort of the right way to handle animals and also be taught empathy and compassion and that that then would have a knock-on effect not just with the way that they deal with animals in the future but also the way that they deal with their peers in the playground in the classroom um yeah so it's yeah it's a, i think that's a great example of the sort of thing that we try to do which is you know uh cover the news of the day in terms of scottish education but also look at try and shine a light on subjects topics uh that, that haven't been covered very much before if at all so i think that's that's one of the great the really great examples of that recently and for those who are interested i think that will be well i know that will be published in our fourth of october magazine um the piece I had in mind is a lot older and a lot different in tone, I would say, as well. It was um, when I went to Cannon Primary School, one of the, the small isles near Sky, um, in 2007, actually, and it was about sort of midsummer time of year. Uh, weather was amazing. The trip, I think it was a great example of uh, some of the unique settings that education takes place in, in Scotland. I mean, I lived in Glasgow at the time. It took me 10 hours by public transport to get there, train all the way up the West Coast, and then uh, a small isles ferry which stops on the three other small isles, small isles first so Eggmuck and Rum and finally gets to Canna and uh, the school's actually multiple now as, as far as I know um, and at that stage what was particularly interesting about the school was it only had one pupil which made for a really nice colourful feature about uh, you know what a typical school day was like for this eight-year-old girl but also brought us into some really interesting questions about obviously this was a fantastic place to go to school in some ways because her playground was this amazing beach Um, you'd always you know things on your doorstep that most pupils just wouldn't have Uh, but at the same time she's there on her own there are more staff than there are (laughs) there's only her in terms of pupils so how does that affect your education so I'm not sure looking back I came to any sort of firm answers and questions like those but just it was a really nice colourful feature uh, distinctly Scottish um, but also as I say posed some really interesting questions about what education is and what effective education is Were there any other children who were due to come up to go to the school? Yes yes the uh, the head teacher uh, and teacher um, at the time had I think two preschool children um, who were due and to how come old up. was the wee girl? She was primary four I think she was eight so um, so yeah she she was I know because you can think of something like that as being really idyllic you yeah. know and that, that isn't this amazing a child and a teacher just getting this freedom to sort of work together one-on-one yeah. children you sort of think need other children yeah know? well exactly I mean they were, they were I mean this is early days of curriculum for excellence and they were quite the teacher was quite keen curriculum for excellence and thinking that for a school like that it would liberate her to sort of do what was going to be best for her pupil but the, 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 the big I guess what problem was that it was pupil and not pupils <laughs> that she was thinking of. So, yes, that was a, that, a great memories of that, and that was 12 years ago now. But I wondered if we could maybe look at, look ahead a bit as well to some of the things that are coming up this year, and uh, we sort of set ourselves a challenge of both coming up with one big issue for Scottish, Scottish education in the year ahead. You know, we're just not long into the new school year. Uh, so what, what sort of rises to the top for you, would you say, looking ahead to the next eight or nine months? Yeah, well, I think with pay, you know, sort of like out the way just now, at least kind of for the time being, 
Um, yeah, Gabriel think, was just yeah. to be there about the April, May, yeah, so. So, and, you know, and, and teachers were pleased with that, unions were pleased with, you know, sort of what they managed to um, get out of the Scottish government. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, so it'll be quiet on that front going forward and you sort of, you know, the part of you is like, oh, well, what the teaching unions got to do now? But, so I guess that definitely one of the things that we'll probably write a lot about is workload and I thought that that was probably quite an interesting one to look at especially in light of this you know sort of OECD report that came out at the beginning of the week which was really sort of looking at the amount of time that teachers in Scotland spend in front of a class and just maybe just to remind people of you know sort of what yeah, well, that showed if it's worth sort of saying absolutely, yeah, you know yeah. so the, the Scottish teachers spend more than half their time teaching um so for instance in lower secondary Scottish teachers spend 63 percent of their time in front of classes and the OECD average is 43 percent so I mean I guess that probably the teaching unions are going to take those figures and make hay mm-hmm. because you know you can see that um you know that's a big discrepancy between us and the rest of the you know sort of western world yeah the unions here have been sort of saying that for a long time and this these figures just a few days ago they certainly you know lend weight to their argument and they've been very explicit about the fact that workload is their big issue for, for the year ahead. Well interestingly just though to just mm. kind of add mm. to that is that I was speaking to you know a fairly senior figure in a local authority and what he had to say about the pay deal was the um it was the feeling, uh, you know, sort of amongst um, education directors um, that, uh, the, 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 that within the pay deal, they should have given the teachers the 10% that they were looking for, but then taken away non-class contact time in primary school mm-hmm. as being the sort of um, payoff, I guess. For, for getting that so make it even worse than, uh, than <laughs> exactly has, exactly uh, has, so that would have that would have put Scottish teachers obviously in front of the class you know sort of well I guess 100% of the time yeah. um, as opposed to you know sort of uh, the time that there's the, the sort of uh, the time that they're spending just now so it would have kind of exacerbated that situation but it just gives you I suppose a bit of an insight into you know sort of the difficulties that local authorities mm-hmm. have because the other thing that I just said about the big difference, you know, sort of between when we started and now is and how Scottish education change would be about local authority budgets mm-hmm. and how much money there is in the system. And I, I think that, that kind of demonstrates that there's, you know, that there's not the money in the system because it's all about paying for cover, isn't it? And having the teachers to cover that non-class contact time. Yeah, well, I mean, before I get to sort of looking ahead, so now that you mentioned big changes over the past decade or so, I think for me, the the biggest change has been the politicisation of education in Scotland. When you look back to 2006 when I started, we were only five years after the Macron report on teacher conditions and so forth, um, and CFE, correct for excellence, was fairly new. Pretty much everyone had got behind it Looking back, it feels like a relatively settled time, and certainly, um, you know, it wasn't. Education didn't seem to be talked about so much. In and what do you put that down to? Like, why do you think it's become more politicised? Well, a large part is changing conditions, you know, and things you've mentioned like workload and pay have been issues. But, but probably the biggest factor is that when Nicola Sturgeon became first minister in two thousand fourteen, she was very 
clear, very explicit that education was the number one priority. That was what she was to be judged on. Yeah. It was all about uh, um, closing the attainment gap. And I think I think there was even talk at the very start, which has been softened since, about you know completely eliminating the the attainment gap, uh, a so-called attainment gap. So there was a natural consequence of that. That well, if that's what she wants to be judged on, then people are going to judge her on that. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's, uh, it's been, and it's gotten uh, you know it's it's become something that you hear coming up in first minister's questions, for example, more often than you used to in the past. Um, some of that debate is not particularly enlightening. Sometimes there's more heat than light, but uh, as a journalist, it's a good thing. It gives us lots to write about, I guess. Um, looking ahead for me, I think the, the big thing, whether people like it or not, or one of the big things in the coming year is PISA. So PISA standing for Programme for International Student Assessment. That's right, isn't it? Um, so it's Thanks, the work. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this is the OECD um, analysis of uh, um, performance of students, school students in many countries around the world every few years. And the, this ongoing narrative uh, has been, oh, Scotland's getting worse in yeah. this regard. And the other big story that people have been aware of for probably a decade now is you know, countries like Finland excelling. Also, I think that may change as well. So the last time, I mean, the, the, a few years ago, the last round of results, John Swinney, Education Secretary, newly, fairly newly appointed at that stage, he was up front and said, you know, we'll, we don't think this is everything, but you know we want to be judged on other things in Scottish education, but we should be doing better at this. So whether, you know there are controversies about whether it's a good way of assessing how effective an education system is, but the fact is this will set the narrative for a lot of debate around Scottish education when the results come out in December and the months afterwards. Yeah. Whether you like it or not, that's going to be case, the case. And there's even more invested in it now because Scotland doesn't take part in many international Surveys. There are uh, other surveys. Quite a few years ago, yeah. yeah. So PISA is uh, for people who want PISA is it in terms of international comparisons, pretty much. So that is going to be a big thing. It's going to really set the tone, depending on how Scotland does. Um, well, either you know whether, and there'll be a lot of uh, contested debates about what the figures are saying, and and that's going to rumble on for quite some time afterwards. I would say. It's so interesting, mm. isn't it? Because like, we definitely provide that, you know, kind of more nuanced debate around mm. PISA and, you know, sort of and shed light on what people say are mm. the, the downsides of it or maybe the shortcomings and and we do all of that but yet in many ways as you say it doesn't matter uh, it's you know it's considered to be it's, it's respected and the government will if the if the performance gets worse they're gonna have yeah. to answer for it yeah and if it um, gets better they're not gonna be brushing it onto the carpet they'll be <laughs> to shout out from the from the hilltops so that's that's about us for this time um this is our first podcast as i say from now on we're keen to get uh, guests to come in come chat about the issues of the day with us so we'll be looking into that for our next episode which we'll will be sometime in the next month. Um, if you want to get in touch with us with any ideas, suggestions, uh, opinions, if you just want to tell us what you think, um, probably the best way is Twitter. I think you are Emma underscore Seath. Yeah, that's right. I am Henry underscore Hepburn. Um, we've also got the TS Scotland account, so that's TS Scotland. No underscores or hyphens or anything. Um, so we'd love to hear from you. Um, we've really enjoyed this. We hope to make it a regular fixture. Let us know what you think. Um, get in touch, and we'll we'll 
see you again, but we won't see you because it's not that sort of medium. <laughs> we will be in your presence. We will be here again sometime next month chatting about education in Scotland. Brilliant. <laughs> see you then.